We talk about the trade wars all the time. It's Donald Trump versus China, and there's going to be a deal. 15th of December is an important date. But how much do you really understand about trade wars and what they really are about and what the implications are and what the long-term consequences are of America essentially starting a fight with China and lumping huge tariffs on some of their imports, the Chinese responding, and suddenly the whole world getting a bit of a shake-up. Michael Power is a strategist at Investec Asset Management. I mean, Donald Trump pulled the trigger on trade wars, which have probably been looming for quite some time. Yes, I think he couldn't resist it because it was rather an obvious thing for him to do and appeal to his base. Um, but the reality is that sooner or later, a another would have had to have done the same thing. What, why would somebody in America have had to do this? Well, there's a... Uh, a, a slow but but steady recognition happening in the United States at the moment that um, China's coming. And not only is China coming, very soon China's going to overtake them by almost any calculation, even generous one by 2030. Uh, the United States will have fallen into second place in nominal terms, in terms of uh, 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 global economy. Um, and China will be the largest economy. And I think we, the U.S. doesn't like the idea of being number two. It may not like the idea, but that is inevitable. So why fight the Chinese if you can't beat them, join them? Instead, they're looking to beat them. Well, I don't think Donald Trump wants that to happen on his watch. And if he does get re-elected next time, there's a distinct chance that it might. Mm. Um, So I think he's trying in any way he can to slow the process. But I think anyone who's serious about understanding what's going on at the moment realizes that come 2030, um, not only will, and I always make this juxtaposition, China be number one in economic terms, but India will have over- overtaken China in population terms. So there's some big changes coming in the next decade. I mean, when when Donald Trump declares a trade war on China, he starts lopping tariffs on Chinese imports because he said we need to protect our industries, America first, we need to grow the American economy. He's kind of shutting the barn door. The horse not only bolted, but the horse died of old age in the meantime. If you look at the top Top five items that the United States exports to China, four of them are natural resource or agriculture, and one is Boeing, which, of course, at the moment is not going anywhere. Um, Over half their order book was the uh, MAX 737-800 MAX. So uh, that's going nowhere at the moment. And the Chinese, as part of their Made in China 2025 program, uh, have a, a development of a, with a company called Comac. Um, the, the 929, I think it's called, which is a plane that will be launched in, in 2023, uh, which will rival the 737 and, and the Neo, which is Airbus is offering. So, um, yeah, the Chinese are coming. Um, should, I mean, should America have woken up to the sooner? I mean, the world was in recession. It was a tough economic environment. China became the factory of the world. It was perfectly logical then for American companies to offshore their manufacturing to China. It was a place where there were people who were hungry to work hard, who were going to produce things for very little money. And so manufacturing went that way. And suddenly manufacturing went that way. China built up its skills. China built up its capital base. And America lost out on manufacturing. And sort of somewhere in the between, America lost the plot. Yes, but it's gone further. And the further is that when it comes to R&D now, technology, uh, inventing things, coming up with new ideas, um, China's no longer a copycat. It's the cat to be copied. Uh, have you looked at the latest iPhone uh, look on the back. The camera configuration looks remarkably like something Huawei offered us a, a yes. year ago. Yeah. 
So, uh, and that's just an easy comparison. There sure. are plenty of others that you can look at at the moment. Yes, of course, in areas medical, the U.S. is usually ahead, though. Uh, and I'm not going to details, but anybody who's listening can go into um, you know, the Internet and find out about Garlic the Cat. Um, the Chinese are doing genetic engineering now um, at a level which is quite a long way ahead of the United States, perhaps because in the U.S. the, um, the ethical constraints that are always placed on their, their uh, sort of researchers are not being placed on Chinese researchers. No. Um, so, yeah, so 2025, the Chinese had this idea of made in China. Uh, 2030, it is... Invented, uh, it, it, designed and made in China. Perhaps it may actually be made in Vietnam. And I think there will be a certain amount of seeding <laughs> of the low-end manufacturing to Bangladesh and Vietnam and, and Ethiopia. So the U.S. wakes up to the fact that China is going to overtake it, you know, by some point between 2025 and 2030 and decides to start imposing sanctions. Does it achieve anything for the United States to do so? No, but it does achieve something for China, and that is they have a sort of equivalent of the Sputnik moment, that they, the, this thing is not going to happen uh, slowly and, uh, and, and gradually. Uh, they may have to go what I call a long, not a long march, but a force march, uh, in terms of R&D. So in areas like, for instance, what uh, Huawei did in coming up with a replacement software program for Android, uh, they've got something called Hongmeng. They were developing it in the background, but they didn't feel they had any urgency to do so. Uh, in the space of six months, they basically got Hongmen, uh, if not up to the level of Android, enough to be able to put in a phone so that they can then regularly download upgrades into it and within a year, we will have three systems. We'll have iOS for Apple. We'll have Android for pretty much everywhere else, except, of course, for Hongmen, which will be into into a sort of third area, and not just Huawei, but everything pretty much coming out of, of China. Yeah, but speaking, if it's so self-defeating, then, I mean, if the United States is, in fact, accelerating China's progress, why does it persist? Massively so, if you consider the vast majority of, if there has been relocation of factories out of China, uh, they haven't gone back to the United States. They've gone to Vietnam, or yeah. they've gone to Malaysia, or, or, or they've gone even to Mexico, which is a, a truly an insult. Um, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's backfiring. I think, actually, we're now beginning to see it in the figures. Um, and I think that, to some extent, that's weakened Donald Trump's negotiating position, not that he would ever admit it. Uh, you know, what's been agreed upon in the last week, um, pretty much the Chinese won on every count. What, 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 what have they won? I mean, where do we stand in the, in trade war 2019? Well, they basically said we'll buy 50 million worth of, uh, 50 billion worth of soya in the next year and we'll think about everything else. Then the, it has an impact all over the world, of course. I mean, I was at a, a sheep farm a couple of weeks ago. I've told the story on the radio where there are bales of wool packed to the roof of this particular shed on the sheep farm. I said, well, okay, how long do you keep wool for? I said, no, no, we wait till the prices improve. Why are you waiting for prices to improve? No, wool prices have collapsed. China's not buying wool anymore. It's all linked to trade wars. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. But certainly the perception of the farmer was precisely yeah, that. And, uh, there's, uh, I'm sure some truth in that. Um, I, I think that to some extent, it's it's mostly due to the the global slowdown that's taking place at the moment so demand everywhere is down yes the trade war has impacted that mm -hmm. uh, but looking through this as the chinese, chinese would, would you're not going to see, see um, um, 
Yeah, that's weird. You've, you've suddenly... You've you got suddenly, that too. you got echo in your headphone, headphone, headphones. Yeah. Like um, the, Chinese, the Chinese are basically going to uh, grin and bear it for five years and, uh, and pick up where they left off afterwards and, and be in a stronger position when they do. It's the weird, weird world of trade wars. And Michael Power, strategist at Investec Asset Management, a couple of weeks ago, wrote the report Sleeping Giant Awakes and talking about China and the huge growth story. Now, we know that we tied our economic and political fortunes to China. In 1997, we cut ties with Taiwan um, and China became our new best friend, even when it was uh, just emerging as a very significant economic player. It is an increasingly dominant global economic player. It is an economic player to which we are more closely linked today than ever before. Sir Ramaphosa, when ever given an opportunity to talk up China, will do so at the expense of talking down the United States. Um, we see ourselves as more a Chinese economic ally than an American economic ally. What are the consequences for us as China becomes the big dog? Or what is it? The cat to be copied uh, rather than the copycat. More with Michael Powell, the strategy Strategist at Investec Asset Management in a moment. Michael Power, the strategist at Investec Asset Management, in studio with me this evening. Any questions on the issues around the trade wars? But let's move beyond trade wars and let's look at Africa's strategy. Let's look at South Africa's strategy as an African uh, country and a an ally in BRICS of of China. We are sort of the very, very small S at the end of BRIC. Um, and it was, what was his name? I met him last year, the man who coined the BRICS. Jim O'Neill. Jim O'Neill, yes. Very nice man, Jim O'Neill, uh, from Manchester. And he came up and said, Brazil, Russia, India, China, this is the big uh, trading block of the future. He was right on India and China, certainly. That's fair. I think you have to remember that uh, Brazil and Russia are basically large, but resource exporters. And India and China are large, but heavily populated and aren't really resource exporters. So they will import resources. And that was the division within BRIC. They they import resources and they manufacture. And And they they are very effective at it. Um, What is the implication then of these booms that we're seeing in India and in China on us well at the moment i don't think we're really grasping the potential opportunities that could come our way not that africa is ignoring them in ethiopia in kenya they're definitely grasping um, the reality that 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 china is on the up indeed to some extent india too they're not they're even almost playing one off against the other they're probably more on the side of china at the moment but then china's bigger Um, but they're not ignoring india and what we're beginning to see, I mean, Ethiopia, I always use this as almost embarrassing statistic when talking to the powers that be here in South Africa. But Ethiopia created 1.4 million jobs last year. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's, it's inconceivable to us in South Africa where we've probably destroyed that many um, in not much longer than that. That's absolutely right. And, and a lot of it is coming about as a result of them climbing in at the bottom rung of the ladder and starting to do shoes and textiles. That's Ethiopia. Ethiopia's space. Kenya's more into the metal bashing sector. Uh, they seem to be more engineering in their orientation, but they're both now um, setting up uh, operations that essentially su- feed into the supply chain at the bottom end. Um, and uh, you can see that by visiting their ports. You see what's going through them. It's not all stuff coming in. There's stuff going out as well. And uh, they've allowed a lot of you know, foreign and especially Chinese investment into their economy. 
um, is part and parcel sometimes of loan packages, but uh, it's not all loan packages. Um, you've seen infrastructure completely overhauled, and not just railways and roads and ports, but things like power. Um, you know, Kenya now is um, heading uh, towards, by 2025, being over 90% reliant on renewable energy sources. Um, now, and that technology is coming from? Uh, actually, interestingly, a lot of it uh, is coming from places like Iceland because okay. a lot of it is. is <laughs> I was, uh, I was is, anticipating China. No, no China is in on the yes. solar, but I mean, Iceland, they have this remarkable thing of having the um, thermal uh, yeah. energy there, which is 40 to 50% of their energy sources. And Iceland is the pioneer in that space. What is South Africa's problem that we just get, we, we, we feel like we're slipping behind? I don't know if that's real or perceived, but it feels like we're not. Well, we're standing an still while others are moving forward. Ooh. And that's the nicest thing one can say at the moment. I think the thing is that we don't think that outsiders can play a role in our economy. However that's constructed, whether it's investing in creating factories, yes, we talk about it. But what we need to think about is turning our economy on its head and thinking what can we sell others rather than what can we buy from others. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to develop an export profile that moves away from natural resources. Um, we get you know, cursed by the Dutch disease every time prices go up. Um, that lulls us into a full sense of security, hijacks our currency, and ends up killing what little industry remains in our economy. So we need to turn things on their head and start to say, actually, the way that this works is you climb in to the value-added ladder at a position you can find where you are economically relevant, economically viable, economically competitive. We, we are so protectionist um, of ourselves and we, we perceive that if we, we, we keep people out, we then protect our jobs, we protect our people, we protect our interests. And we could create, if suddenly you could create one, a million jobs in, in a relatively short period of time, Ethiopia style. Who cares where the, those opportunities come from? Absolutely. And I mean, I'm sure the Eastern Cape could probably climb into the sort of space, similar sorts of spaces that uh, that Kenya and Ethiopia are now looking at. Mm. Oh, what is it? Is it a pride thing? Is it an arrogance thing? Is I think also there is, and, and it's, a, it's a contentious issue, there is an issue related to the value of the currency as it then translates into determining the dollar wage price of our semi-skilled labor, mm. which still puts us a little high on the uh, the the ranking even at twenty rand an hour, which is even at twenty rand even an hour. at twenty rand an hour, even it's at not, twenty rand an it's hour. It's not even a living wage in South Africa. No, it's That's not a trouble. living wage in South Africa. So we're caught on that hook, and we need to find a way around it. There are some potential ways around it, and one of them is a, a massive adoption of export processing zones, which create sort of almost greenhouses where you know, no taxes operate and all sorts of operational relaxation takes place not in health and safety but pretty much elsewhere and that's the way that china did it they did it with guangdong and look what mm. happened as a result it spread to the whole country pretty much now uh, that's the way that kenya is doing it that's the way that ethiopia is doing it there's a industrial park outside of Addis ababa where 31 textile companies from turkey have set up <laughs> So, you know, this is, this is a, a different way of thinking about, uh, when, yeah. when you say, you said when you go and talk to the powers that be, when you go and you talk to governments and you say to governments, this is the way the world is operating. This is the way we're operating. This is what's happening to their economies. This is what's happening to the welfare of their people. This is what's happening to the welfare of people in South Africa. Are you met with indifference, indignation, rage and fury? Or are you told, 
the fourth industrial revolution is going to fix it all by itself. Let's, let's not go down that path. I think what happens is that they think that they can do it differently. And there isn't probably a, a, a decent-sized country in the world that has been able to do it differently. Going back to, you know, after World War II, first the likes of Germany and Japan and then Korea and Taiwan and then Hong Kong in its own way and Singapore to some degree, and they all climbed up. They, yes, had a different slightly mix in terms of their value-add, but they basically followed the same broad path. Well, we're, for whatever reason, following a completely different path. Um, and somehow we feel as though we can get to our destination. The president, though, quite encouraging noises at the FT conference yesterday, relaxing the visa controls, making it easier for skills to come into the country. We need skills. We need an injection of capital. We need investment. All of these things. Making the right noises, but taking the right noises to application seems to be a stumbling block. And I really think that the export processing zone uh, idea is one way which we can create almost an artificial, artificially good, uh, environment in which we can encourage foreigners to come in halfway in to South Africa. And hopefully what happens then is there's backward linkages from that. There are skills transfers into people who work. And suddenly you see the spillover effect happening into the rest of the economy. I mean, have you seen the Dubé tri- uh, the development zone at the King Shark International Airport? There's a big piece of land just behind being flattened for accommodation for people to come and work, live closer to where the worker zone is going to be. There's Nucha, um outside of Port Elizabeth. I mean, these places exist. They just need to be... That the that they need to be very very carefully developed in yeah. terms of what it is that people are looking for. Yeah, and really in the end, you know, cost comes into into the calculation. Yeah. Believe it or not, do we miss the boat? I mean, do we? We are missing the boat at the moment. Yes. How do we not miss the boat? Um, we start to be a little bit modest. We start to uh, admit that others have got a few ideas that we should perhaps not only be copying but but doing better. Um, we have got extras to add to the mix. Uh, which they haven't. Um, and uh, I, I think a little bit of humility will, will go a long way. Um, what's it going to take for us to get the wake-up call? A crisis. But aren't we already? No, I mean an Argentine or, no, not Venezuela, but no. an Argentine-style crisis where you see the... But why do, we have to, why do we have to break it so that we can fix it? Can't we just... Yeah. It's one of the human nature. You know, sometimes we just don't you know, start to lose weight and go to the gym until we have a you know, heart scan. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's just our human nature. It's quite a depressing prospect. Have you got, it, it, yes, but I think that you know, one of the things that's going to happen is we're going to slowly but surely start to realize that uh, there are other places in Africa that are starting to make progress. And uh, it's quite close. And we'll start to, to look over the fence and see what they're doing. Maybe not into Zimbabwe, but no. you get my, re- my, my basic point. And we'll start to say, well, hang on a second. What can we do? And I think we can do something. We've got unbelievable geographical position, got great sea routes. We've got all sorts of infrastructure, which is still very solid. Um, but then again, you look at something like, you know, the Internet and go to Nairobi and you realize how much faster their speed is there now and how much more online they are and how much more wired they are in so many different ways. And the fact that 40 percent of the country's GDP on a daily basis goes through a single app on your phone, Mpesa, and they, 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 they're sort of doing things differently. We need to think differently. Michael Power, thank you. The strategist at Investec Asset Management.